and welcome to Doing Good. I'm Rob Alvarez. And this is Kathy Wynn. Each week we aim to bring you amazing stories from everyday people who are taking on life's challenges, both big and small, and along the way doing good for others. We hope you enjoy these intimate conversations and thank you so much for listening. In this episode, we talk with Mark Wise. Mark spent over 16 years with the Special Olympics of Delaware and now works with the Delaware State Parks. He is a longtime endurance athlete who has competed in over 20 Ironman triathlons, including the World Championships in Kona three times. Please enjoy our fun conversation with Mark as he details his path to endurance sports and a fulfilling career while putting his miles to good. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hope you're doing well. Doing very well. Thank you. Really excited to get to know you. Um, we were just talking pre-show a little bit that Kathy knows you a lot better and we just kind of know each other in passing. So uh, one thing I know, though, is that athletics is definitely a big part of your life or has been. So were you very much into sports growing up? Uh, well, actually, so I, I took a couple different avenues before I actually got in, involved in endurance sports. So I started playing football when I was eight years old and played all the way up through my uh, sophomore year in college. So did you start like in the peewee, peewee footballs? Yeah, yeah. started as a peewee footballer. Uh, cool. Was sort of small for my age. You know, it's hard to believe at this time, but I was a little small <laughs> for my age. But I, I played on the offensive line um, and then ended up uh, just graduating up to the next group, next to the next group. And then I went to a, a private boys' school who was a pretty much a, a football powerhouse. And because I didn't come up through the sort of the feeder system that had, they had, I sort of had to sort of forge my own way. So uh, I played football in high school, school for uh, a high school called Trinity High School. It's in Louisville, Kentucky. And we won the state championship my junior and senior year. Wow. Uh, and this was a lot of a, it was sort of year round for them. So we would play the state championship in late November, early December, and then we would start indoor football practice right around my birthday in the middle of January. Um, so we would do indoor training up through the summer. Um, and then in the summers, we would have these uh, unofficial practices that the coaches weren't allowed to in these parks, but <laughs> the coaches would sort of show up and walk their dogs to be sure everyone was there. Um, so I left... Uh, I was sort of wishy-washy whether I wanted to play football in college. I decided I did it the last minute. Went to a very small liberal arts school in uh, Hanover, Hanover, Indiana. Okay. And uh, I was an all-conference uh, left offensive tackle for them my sophomore year. But sort of uh, before my sophomore year, I had a doctor during the physical. Uh, I guess he was looking at my, you know, my stats, and he said. I just want to tell you one thing. Football coaches are renting your body. You have to use it. You're with it the rest of your life. And it sort of just struck me um, that maybe I didn't really want to keep doing what I was doing. Um, during the summer prior to my sophomore year, I was uh, in a gym working out with, uh, you know, powerlifters, bodybuilders, and I saw something that I might be more interested in other than football. And to be honest with you, by my sophomore year in college, uh, I had two, I divided my college into two different areas, my non-scholastic and my scholastic. So the first two years I was basically playing football and sort of goofing around. And when I went back the second year, two years, two and a half years, I was uh, much more attuned to my scholastics. 
So you you actually chose to to end your football career? Yeah. Yeah, wow. after my sophomore yeah, after my sophomore year I walked into the coach. So here I was, I was most valuable offensive lineman, uh, all conference uh, as a sophomore and I walked into the coach's office and said, I'm retiring and uh, he wasn't thrilled with it. He sort of understood it. Uh, so I actually, uh, I left Hanover for a year, went back uh, to Louisville, went to the University of Louisville and took some classes. And I got involved in uh, powerlifting and bodybuilding. So I went from my highest weight was, was about 270 pounds mm-hmm. uh, through, through bodybuilding and powerlifting. I went down to about 220 and oh, wow. did that for a couple of years. And when I went back to school, I didn't have time to lift anymore because I was working full time and going to school full time. And I started running. And it was something I never thought that I would do because I was always this big offensive lineman at a football practice saying, look at those crazy cross-country guys out there just running. <laughs> and now now I was the crazy guy out running. Uh, oh, that's interesting because I, I wouldn't think even with bodybuilding yeah, or be- powerlifting that you would need to lose weight or yeah. drop your weight or end up dropping your weight. So that's interesting. Well, I got really, you know, I got really, really, you know, lean. Uh, to give you sort of a perspective, my sport coat was a size 48. My waist was 32. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's crazy, yeah. Yeah. I guess that's what a, a bodybuilder type of um, proportions, I guess, right, are. Yeah. yeah. Not, you know, it was, it was really, you know, when I was in that phase, actually, there, there used to be a, a professional bodybuilding contest in, uh, in Ohio. And me and one of my training partners went to it, and it was just you know amazing the size of these guys. And, but back then it was pre, uh, we you knew these guys were taking steroids and all that. It was, mm-hmm. and even the gym that I worked out at, uh, there was a lot of uh, steroids floating around. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I when I when I started running, obviously I couldn't just run it as a as a hobby. I, I ran it to be uh, competitive. You know, I ended up run, doing like 70-mile weeks, 80-mile weeks. I think my longest stretch of running was like 140 days. Um, wow. And I ended up qualifying for the Boston Marathon. I ran a 246. Wow. Uh, yeah. I was just wondering, how, so how? what got you into endurance sports or into running? Was it just part of you preparing for... At first, at least, uh, preparing for powerlifting. You know, at that point, I'd pretty much given up on it because you, you can't be a powerlifter and and run. And when mm-hmm. I was when I was working full time and going to school full time, I couldn't do both. But it was easy for me to throw in a pair of running shoes and run out the door and get like a you know forty five minute run, mm-hmm. an hour run, hour twenty minute run versus going to the gym. I guess my question uh, is why. <laughs> yeah, why did you start it to run? I mean, like you're just like, oh, woke up one day and oh, I'm gonna go out for a run because you know some 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 people they do it. It just hits them. Well, you know, I I, I started time and then the, the girl I was dating, uh, the woman I was dating in oh, college. Oh, it's always her, a girl. <laughs> her, her, her father was a marathoner and runner, uh-huh. and she scored a 
know, she was not a fan of me running. Oh, really? Uh, at, oh, no, it was, no. <laughs> no, there's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole other, other different podcast that we can use. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a fan of me going out for a run. Um but it, it just it just fit my schedule, and it's something I could do. And then, you know, I, I ran into a couple friends who I was sort of running with, and it was sort of just neat, uh, you know, the camaraderie of getting together and going out for a 35-minute run, which turned into a 45-minute run, and then an hour, then an hour and a half, and then two hours. Um, when I moved to Omaha, Nebraska, uh, after I graduated college, I, I was hired by Champion Paper, and they shipped me off to Omaha, Nebraska. And there was a couple different people in the plant who ran a little bit. So I just got to, you know, got friendly with them. And, uh, you know, we started running. And the, the running culture in Omaha was very strong. I mean, there was group runs oh, every really? Saturday morning. Uh, there, was a, there was a race every other weekend uh, just over the river in, uh, in uh, Iowa. And I remember one morning, the windshield was 60 below, and some of us showed up to do the run. We called the guy who didn't show up to start us, and we're like, where are you? Are you in your way? And he goes, God, you guys are, you know, you guys are asses. It's, it's minus 60 outside. I'm not coming out. <laughs> That's crazy. So, yeah. But it was funny because you could, you could show up, and you would stand in the parking lot, and you would look around, and you would say, all right, today I'm going to finish stuff. Because you just because you just knew everybody who was there. Oh wow! Mm, okay. Yeah. So you 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 know you just knew. How long did uh it take for you between you starting to run and then running a marathon? It was probably like a, a year and a half, okay. uh, two years. Yeah, it was pretty quick. It was the first marathon I ran standalone uh, was in Omaha, and I did like a three eighteen, and I was extremely disappointed because uh, I trained a lot for that race. Uh. And just really sort of fell apart the last six miles. So, of course, I vowed, you know, after failing, that I was going to, you know, do better the next year and start putting in all the really long training days. I had a couple of great training partners back then. But what was interesting, so I was 270 pounds when I finished uh, playing football. And then several years later, when I qualified, when I did my two, uh, 246 marathon, I was 168. Wow. So I lost oh, my goodness. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Now, have you shared... Now, well, as you know, we've we've known each other for uh, what, like maybe seven, eight years, and mainly it's through UD Pool of right. social media. Now, the, the when you say that you did body lifting, I I do recall. Did you ever share any pictures? Is what I'm trying to ask. Did you ever share any pictures on social media? Yeah, I think I think there's a picture floating around of me when I weighed about. 255, 260 pounds. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, one of these days, I'd love it for you to, to post the side-by-side, you know, like maybe after this yeah, podcast, yeah. like one of you during your body uh, body lifting years and then when you ran um, Boston. That would be so cool to see, you yeah, know. I, I never quite, I never got to Boston. I, I qualified, but I never ran because I hurt my knee. Oh. Uh, yeah. No. So, yeah, so I qualified for Boston, and me being me, I decided the day after I ran a 246 marathon, I'm going to start training again. Oh so gosh. I didn't take any time off and ended up having to have my knee scoped um, because I had some 
uh, a tissue buildup underneath one of my kneecaps. So the orthopedist, the guy who operated on my knee, I, I said, well, what can I do? He goes, well, you can't run, you can't bike for 30 to 60 days. He goes, but you can swim. I'm like, all right. So I borrowed a pair of goggles and I went to the Y, you know, a pair of baggy shorts. <laughs> and I got in and I swam like 25 meters. And I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> this, is, this is just bad. So, but I sort of forced it around and, and probably a couple of years before that, there's, I don't know if you're, you may not be young or old enough to remember Wide World of Sports. Um, oh, yeah, I remember a, that. Yeah, so it was a Saturday afternoon, and they showed Julie Maltz crawling across the finish line. I think it was like 1982 or 83. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, that seemed like a pretty cool thing to try. <laughs> so it was always good. Yeah, so it's sort of in the back of my mind. So I couldn't. I couldn't uh, swim, I couldn't bike, I couldn't run, so I started swimming. I wasn't very good. I was a lifeguard a little bit during high school, but, you know, I really didn't swim. So I got a, I went to find, I found a, a master swim coach, and I said, uh, told him what was, what I wanted to do. I wanted to get involved in triathlons. I said, can you make me a good swimmer? And he just said, no. Jeez. <laughs> that was Frank. <laughs> Yeah, he goes, how old are you? And I'm like, yeah, I was like 25 at the time. He goes, he goes, I can make you a decent swimmer. I can make you a good swimmer, a triathlete swimmer, but you'll never be a great swimmer. I'm like, I understand. All right. <laughs> so, I worked with, so I worked with this guy, and actually he got me to be pretty proficient in the water where, like, the first couple of years I was doing triathlons, my goal, I used to call it just damage control. Don't finish so far back that – yeah. You know, you, you can't catch people. Mm-hmm. So uh, in working with him, when I moved to, moved to the Philadelphia area, I swam at the Northeast Aquatic Center, and we had a small triathlon team. Um, actually, it was, it was it was called the Guy. It was the original Guys Triathlon Club. So this is back in 1987, 1988. Uh, so there's a Guys Triathlon Club now, but we were the original guys back in 87. But we had a swim coach, and we swam at the 50-meter indoor pool up at the Northeast Aquatic Center. And so we would swim there a couple of nights a week, and I was just able to become proficient. So where whenever I would do like an Ironman, back when I was really competitive, I could you know I could do a 58 or 59-minute Ironman swim. Wow. It's pretty good. Um, I guess I, I was just curious what triathlons kind of were like back in the late 80s, because you know, triathlon as a sport is, a, is relatively young, right? It was, sort of, it was sort of different. It, was, it had more of a, of a of a rustic feel because you know that there wasn't there wasn't predecessors back that day. I mean, you know, in eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven, you know, there was the first triathlons, uh, you know, anywhere. And I think the biggest difference is back there, back in those days, if you like triathletes, they might not they were they were lack of a better term, they were studded at least one sport, so they were either a great swimmer or a great runner, or a great, great cyclist. And I think the race directors at the time had the mindset that, you know, these you know these folks have gotten very good at at least one sport, so I'm not going to worry too much about them from a safety standpoint. I mean, they did do dangerous stuff, but, like, last year they canceled the swim at Eagle Man because the water was choppy. Back in 1988, they, they, they would have canceled it. They would have said, there's the swim, there's the swim, have at it, and yeah, if you're willing yeah, to get if you're willing to get out there, good luck, right? 
Right, right, yeah. Because I mean, you know, you know, back with the group, and I was training back in the 80, 88, 89 with some folks, and we would go out for a run, and the stud runner would just drill us. We're like, all right, we'll just wait till we get you on the bike, and then we would get him on the bike, and then we would drill him on the bike, and then we would have someone who wasn't good at the bike or the run, but they would get us in the pool and just thrash you. So it was sort of like, okay, I'll put up with you being good at one sport, just wait till I get you in line. Um, so, but I, I think how it sort of transpired is, and it's not a bad thing, it's just today, you know, people hear the sport and they want to get involved, and the backgrounds are just different. And, you know, you see people that are out there for the first time, and it's great that they're out there, uh, but they may not have had the, the, the athletic, uh, background coming up that people did years ago because it was just a different it was just a different way to get there uh, mm-hmm. you know b- back in the 80s people were thinking what can I do next where you know people today they, uh, they sort of walk into it and say you know I want to try this and it's great that they're out there but then the race directors have to look at the people that are in the races and make judgment calls mm-hmm. for everyone in the race uh, not just the top you know, 10-15%. Yeah. So when was your first Ironman? My first Ironman, I believe it was in 1990. It was uh, it, it was up in Lake Seventeen, New Hampshire. Oh, nice. Just a beautiful, just a beautiful area. Um, I remember I barely broke 12 hours, which were my first one I was pretty happy with. What I wasn't happy with is I came off the bike in 16th place and oh, wow. I ended up doing four-hour marathon, and so I went from 16th to 60th um, in the run, and I just remember, I barely even remember finishing. Oh, really? um, yeah, no, I barely remember finishing. I remember getting a cheeseburger when I was done, <laughs> and I, we, we went back to this little cabin that was on the ground to where Lake Sunapee was, and I fell asleep in the bathtub, and uh, the person who I was dating at the time uh, couldn't wake me up, so she just let the water out of the tub, and then dried me off and threw a blanket over and left me <laughs> left me there for the night. Oh wow! Now, just so that some of the listeners may not know what an Ironman distance is, would you? Uh, I don't know if you would remember. Most athletes would, especially their first one. But do you recall the time that you did each discipline on your first, or roughly? No, I think the the swim was a little bit over uh, a little bit over an hour. So that's a two point four mile swim, right? Hasn't changed. Yeah, two point four mile swim and a little bit over an hour. Uh, wow. The, the bike was it was just it was just a gorgeous bike. It, was, it reminded me now it remind, reminds me of like last but one hundred twelve bike and it was about like uh, four and a half. Uh, I mean five five and a half five forty five on mm-hmm. the bike. And then the 26-mile marathon, um, I was right at four hours. So I came in at like 11.58, 11.59. That is awesome. Um, That's yeah. awesome, especially your very first, first one. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was it was sponsored by a beer company. <laughs> <laughs> there was plenty of beer at the end. But you, your PR was, I think, 9.37, which is, yeah. which is amazing. I guess did you focus kind of your training on on Ironman, or what were your goals at the time for um, Ironman races? Yeah, the uh, that nine, yeah, the, the nine thirty seven uh, Ironman. Um, 
So it was a very unique uh, course. So it's, it was on the Olympic Basin up in Montreal. So uh, the swim was in the Olympic Basin. So it was sort of like a swimming pool that was a mile point too long, about a mile and a half long. So it was just one big loop. And then the, the bike was, it was actually a criterium style bike ride. So we rode on the Formula One race course. Oh, wow. But it was like 53 laps. Oh, that's crazy. A little transponder on your, on your bike. So every time you went through, it told you how many laps you had to do. And then, um, it was seven, seven loops around the Olympic basin for the marathon. Um, the inter- interesting thing about that day is when we started the race, it was 46 degrees and raining, and I did the whole race in a speedo. So, oh, yeah. wow! So I've got I've got pictures of me like sitting around in the rain in a speedo, and it was like 46 degrees. And it, but it, you know, it warmed up to like the mid 60s by the time I got off the bike. But it was just one of those days, and people were like, like, so that was like 91 or 92. And I did the whole race. And my nutrition was water, Fig Newtons, and dried pineapple. Wow, so different from the plethora of, of nutrition and hydration that's thrown at, uh, at us now. Jeez, that's... And I think a lot of people get caught up, and I know that I have in the past made mistakes because, you know, you listen to what people do, and you sort of get so wrapped up in this nutrition thing, and you just end up making, you know, you've got the swim, the bike, run, and then you add this component of nutrition, which is very important. But I think you can you can overthink it, and if you if you start listening to advertisements, and everything doesn't work for everybody. So mm-hmm. you just sort of have to practice, and see what works for you. This past year, I stopped. I start using some of the the additives you can put in your water, and I've just been doing straight water and you know taking salt tablets if I need them. And my stomach has just calmed down so much more this year when I'm doing long events. So you also made four trips to the Kona World Ironman World Championships. Can yep. you share with us what it was like, especially your first one, what it was like for you? Whether people, uh, whether they say it or not, I mean, if you do a triathlon and you and you sort of have fun at it, I really think that everyone thought, man, I would really love to do Kona. So. In 1997, Eagleman, I don't know if they called it Eagleman back then, but there's a half Ironman in Maryland, and it was an Ironman qualifier. And uh, and this is a race that I had done like for 10 years straight, and my goal was to qualify. And I had one of these days, just a phenomenal day at Eagleman, and I finished second in my age group. Wow. And the guy, the the guy who won the age group. Actually, I we had done uh, where I had my PR in Montreal. He, his name was Don Fink, and he he does all these ultras now. Uh, so he's still in the sport, and I qualified for Kona, and so it was like everything that I had wished come true. So I training, get ready to go to Kona. Training's going great. At the time, I lived outside of uh, Philadelphia in a place called Ogmore, Pennsylvania. I was running with the Bryn Mawr Running Company two nights a week, and then. These guys roll out parking lot and they're telling jokes at like seven minute miles. And <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm just holding on for dear life. And every, so there's like a six mile loop and a ten mile loop. So I was doing the ten mile loop with those guys. You know, was, I was in great shape. Go to go to Kona, get there, get checked in, wake up the morning of the race with a temperature. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, okay. I said, so I, I thought, you know. 
I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. Maybe, you know, maybe whatever's going on, I'll just sort of pass. So I do the swim, have a pretty good swim, do the bike near the, like the last 30 miles of the bike. I can tell that I'm just not feeling great, but it's hard to there because, you know, it's a you know, hundred degrees and the wind's blowing at you. It's just hot, humid. And back then the, there was two different uh, transition areas. You used to call it the pit. So I came off the bike, start running. You got to run up this hill. Then you run down into the pit. And then you run back up. So like mile three, I was just gassed. And I stopped at an aid station and I'm talking to them. And they talk, and then, so I sort of get my bearings. And then I uh, start running again. And I stop. I just sit on the side of the road. And some medical people came up to me. And so I'm talking to them. And they said, listen, we know what it took you to get here. You know, if you want to keep going, that's great. But if we're out here again and we see you on the side of the road, there's no discussion. You're done. Mm-hmm. Like, got it. So I was running in the leaky drive and was almost back to town, Kona. And I was just sitting on the side of the road with my back to the road. I didn't want to look at anything. And I hear a van pull up behind me. And they they knew they didn't even see my number. They knew who it was. <laughs> I said, all right, Mark, we're done. So I crawled in the van. One of the most painful things I've ever lived through, they rip, you know, they take my number off so they can report it. And uh, so they take, they put me in the van, take me back, go to medical, and go back to the medical tent, get a couple IVs. They turn me loose. So that's on Saturday. On Monday afternoon, I go to, like, one of those medical aid units. And the guy goes, yeah, you, you got the flu. It works backwards here. It comes from the Asian Peninsula, and it comes through Hawaii, and then it heads to the west coast and he goes you got it early so uh it was it was pretty devastating to from a from a mental aspect to get there and then to not be able to finish the thing so basically i hid for about three or four days because i didn't really want to be around town just so did a lot of sightseeing stuff away from away from kona so that was 1997 and I can say that until I got back there in 2002, I thought about that race every single day. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's got to be tough. tough so was that your drive? Yeah, get you it, know, it, it was. You know, I, I, had, you know I, I wanted to get back there, but I also just I wanted to race and race well. You know, there's, there's too many other things that could happen. There's things that happen out of your control. It's not like I got there and... I didn't have a great race because I didn't train. So I came back, and I didn't, I didn't really have a desire. To, I knew I was going to do an Ironman again, but I didn't know when. And I was somewhere. I was somewhere in. Uh, I was at the YMCA at the. I was at the Lower Marion YMCA. They had a 50 meter outdoor pool. So I was swimming with some friends, and someone walked in and said, "Hey, did you hear they're having an Ironman in Lake Placid?" And I was like, "Oh, what?" And they're like, yeah, they're going to do an Ironman in Lake Placid. And I went home and got online. And back then, you couldn't sign up online. So I I called and got an information to have them send me an application. And so I signed up. So the first time I went to Lake Placid was in 1999. I know that's one race that you've kind of, at least of late, been doing pretty much every year, right? You come back to that. Yeah. I did it the first 10 years they had it. I did it the first year and I went into it. So I was, I was working uh, down, I was commuting from Newark to uh, Baltimore every day. And it was 
with the commute, it was just tough to train. And I went up there and had a good swim, had a good bike, and this absolutely fell apart on the run. Ended up doing like a five and a half or something hour uh, marathon. Um, so that was the first year. The second year I went up there, again, was having, you know, work wasn't great and had a decent swim. I did one loop of the bike and went through town and started riding out of town. And actually, I was I was riding into town and this rural heavy guy passed me on the hill and he had a tiger tail hanging off of his seat post. That's <laughs> all. And in my mind, I'm going, yeah, this is pretty bad. Um, so I went into town and I was getting ready to head out to the second loop of the run of the bike. And before I even got to the ski jumps, I just turned around and I rolled back into town and I just rolled in the transition and said, I'm done. Uh, the person I was with, I'm like, I'm done. That's it. So, uh, went back to the hotel. And then the next year I went back, I did a, like just, just over 11 hours. So I went from a horrible race to a sucky race where I didn't even finish. And then the third time I was there, I popped out at 11 hour. And so I felt like that was sort of my coming back, coming back mm-hmm. race. So that was 2001. And then in 2002, I qualified to go back to Cone through the road down. So what do you think kind of gives you that drive to, well, one, push yourself to the limits, but also through, you know, some disappointments, kind of just, just pushing through and going back at it again? Well, for, you know, first of all, you know, you have to believe in yourself and be realistic with, you know, with your ability. You know, the Ironman's a, it's a really different, race i mean you can fake you can fake yourself through a lot of different and you know you can do some training you can make it through a sprint you can make it through an international you can or you can sort of make it through a half but the ironman is something where you, you can do all your homework you can do everything perfect and on race day you can still have your butt handed to you so it's just a matter of getting back putting together all the pieces because there are so many pieces i mean to me one of the biggest accomplishments in training for an ironman is that last long day and you get done, and you're not injured, or something mm-hmm. doesn't hurt. You know, I love I love the training as much, if not more, than the than the race itself. So I enjoy going out, you know, grinding out 100 mile rides. Uh, you know, luckily my wife likes to do a lot of them with me. Uh, so you know, fortunately my I don't have to worry about someone at home uh, waiting for me to get back because a lot of times she's out there with me, or if I. You know, if she doesn't want to do a 140-mile ride, we'll do a 80- or 100-mile ride, and then we'll I'll drop her off at the van, and then I'll do the last, you know, 40 to 50 miles solo. I'll ride home. Well, that really shows the importance of enjoying the process, mm-hmm. I guess, right? Because yeah. I think that's what's gotten you over, what is it, 200 triathlons, oh, 21 Ironman races, yeah. I think. If you don't enjoy the process, you know, not to mention, I'm sure you've run a number of marathons and other Yeah, I mean, a lot races. of the people, with, the, with this COVID thing that's going on and, you know, and people, you know, the races being canceled and people are like, well, I don't have the motivation to, to train. To me, it's almost, I'm not happy that COVID happened. But, but looking at it from a different standpoint, if I'm not preparing for races, that means I don't need rest days, I don't need taper weeks. So I can just go out and just doing stuff. I have a hard time. One of the things that I struggle with is, you know, resting up for races. Because if I have a race next weekend and the Sunday before, you know, it's like 75 degrees and the sun's out and there's low humidity. I'm almost like, man, I can't believe I'm wasting a Sunday. 
because I have to race for what rests for a race next week. So one of the things that I started doing is, you know, I put down like A races and B races. You know, the Ironman is, a, a, you know, you need a, I can do like a two-week taper. I really behave myself. Yeah, but some of the other races, you know, I, I've gone out and trained hard the day before a triathlon and had some of uh, my best results. I've, mm-hmm. I've, had a, I've had a two or three-week rest up for a race that I was gearing for and then go out and, and fall flat. So it's, it's a crazy equation. When I was doing the short triathlons, you know, you got up late and ended up going through, you know, and you, you always worry about your breakfast, you know, the morning of a race. And, you know, got up late, and, you know, had McDonald's for breakfast and I think I had one of the best sprints I'd ever had in my life. Uh, it, you know, the Egg McMuffin didn't taste good the second time around, but you know, you just never know. Yeah. So I wanted to shift a little bit to your work with the Special Olympics of Delaware. I know you... You worked with them for a number of years. I guess when did you start there, and what what was kind of your your role with them? Yeah, so I, yeah, so I worked for I worked for them for uh, sixteen years. My last uh, I was there through last July. I sort of introduced my father uh, was a softball coach for Special Olympics back in Kentucky. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, um, so I was exposed to it. Then I've always been drawn to people who have who had to overcome challenges and want believe that they should have the op- every opportunity that, that other people do. And um, so I was uh, I was volunteering as a swim coach for Special Olympics Delaware. And at the same time, I was, so all the junk mail, you get in your uh, mailbox every uh, Thursday and Friday, I was responsible for that. <laughs> so we were, we, were, we were doing about 3 million packages a week, and we covered all of Delaware, most of New Jersey, southern New Jersey, Philadelphia. And Special Olympics was sort of my grounding zone because, you know, you can get caught up in, you know, the corporate world and doing all this. So uh, I actually applied for a job. So I I just really got burned out during the corporate thing. I was doing that for about 16, 17 years. And to be honest with you, when I... uh, started work for Special Olympics, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go do this for one or two years, sort of get grounded, catch my breath a little bit, and then move on. Mm-hmm. And I, I really became enamored with uh, with the athletes that I was working with and the volunteers. Looking at it a little bit different, like, you know, sometimes I would get a phone call from a PE teacher saying, hey, can you get us some equipment? Because the regular PE t- teacher won't let us use some of the equipment. So Mark being Mark, I would go out and I would somehow get the best equipment I could find and I would take it to the you know, the special ed teacher and said, This is yours. You don't have to share it with anybody. This is for your classes. Oh, so that's awesome. Yeah, so I was you know, so I did that for sixteen years. I, w- I went to uh, four national games, uh, which was a great experience a lot of the times the first time some of these people have been away from their families is when they went to national games. Two years ago, we took some people to Seattle and the first time they'd ever been on an airplane is when we took them from Philadelphia to Seattle. Any memories in particular that stand out to you? I guess. So when I, when I was a, uh, when I was still a coach, there was this little young lady named Olivia. So Olivia was eight at the time. So she was just barely in special Olympics. And there's a picture of me as a coach sitting on the side of the pool. My legs are in the pool. Olivia's holding onto the side of the wall. And so she's eight years old. And there's no one else in the pool because everyone else, when they said go, everyone went 
except for Olivia. Oh. She wasn't having any part of it. <laughs> so I had to, you know, so I sit down and we're, you know, we're talking back and forth. And, you know, here's a person who was just terrified to swim. And, it, and it's not that she was terrified of the water. She just, in her mind, she just couldn't figure out what to do. So eventually she went. So we got her in. And then several years later, probably 10 years later, Olivia was at the pool and she had a seizure. So she, mm-hmm. luckily, I mean, she was right by the edge of the pool. So we pulled her out immediately. And then I sort of broke a couple rules and we ran a swim heat just for her because she had already missed it because she was having a seizure. Mm-hmm. So uh, we put her in her own heat and then she swam. And then there's a picture of me and her with her golden up. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so that's awesome. But since I was there for that long, you know, I got to see some kids, you know, that started when they were eight, and then you know, and like last year, they were graduating from high school. Well, I just have to interject really quickly, just to let the listeners kind of have an idea of my how I saw you when I first met you, and the reason why we wanted to interview. Um, I met you through UD. Uh, lap swimming and you know I'm barely five I'm like 4'11 you're like this tall what six I don't know how tall you're but you're you're ginormous to me and you're (laughs) and you're swimming in the fast lane always and you're and I knew you were kind of like a matter of fact guy I sort of knew your background like you're very athletic um kind of like a badass guy I'm like all right get out of his way do not get in his way and then as I knew you, I guess I, as I got to know you a lot more, um, being friends with you on social media and then seeing you post pictures of um, these kids that you coach at Special Olympics, I was like, gosh, you know, Mark is a really awesome guy. He's like a gentle giant. I don't know why I'm so intimidated by him. Yes, I was intimidated by you, Mark. <laughs> but, you know, the more I got to know you, I was just like, God, and, and um, the pictures that you would post, you could see the admiration and how much they adored you. And um, as I saw your, you know, your work through um, Special Olympics, especially like the reindeer run or the polar plunge, um, you were just so in it, you know, you were all in it. You're, you're the kind of the guy that's like, you know, I'm, I'm in it. Uh, and you know, you, you never do things half-ass. Um, but yet you have like this, just this truly gentle side to you. And, and I was just like, you know that I, I want to know, I want to know him more because of that. Cause I, I admired you as, as an athlete. Um, but at the same time I was like, wow, you know, this guy is, is, the real deal. He's just all around. He's just amazing, you know, and I also have to say that your wife is pretty spectacular, you know, for yeah. her to be able to keep up with you. And, and, uh, you know, as, as you know, being in and to put up with me. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even imagine that. Yeah. Oh yeah. But as you know, in, in this sport, you know, um, it could, it's very time consuming and I'm, I'm so happy that you know, you have someone that you could share your passion with. Um, just like, you know, Rob and I, he, he doesn't train as much with me. Um, but it's always nice to have that, that support, that family support, you know, 
But um, I, I just wanted to interject and, and let the listeners know that, you know, that was, um, that was what drawn me to you was when I knew a lot more about you and your work with Special Olympics. And, and then I, I, I really took a, a deeper look at, at your, your posts of the kids and, and what you did. And um, yeah, I, I just want to say you, you um, I, I put you on a, a higher platform, Mark. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. You know, when you when you started lap swimming, you you missed all the precursors or five years previous of all the all the things that went on in that pool. So one day we'll have to sit down and I can fill you in on the on the real background. <laughs> okay. No, it's I think it's it's awesome that these kids get that experience of of competing. And, I, and one thing I didn't know is that they you know so many of them do it for a number of years which is which is also incredible that they they can grow along with it with the the special olympics i used to have a neighbor right down the street from us uh kenny schroeder and he was uh, the last time i did the cycling event out at the uh, air force base i mean he was the oldest athlete i think that we had he was 67 oh wow that's unfortunately a lot of them after high school they sort of trailed off uh, for different reasons but it's, it, it's sort of a, it's sort of what happens in the younger population as well, is where you know people are involved in things up through high school, and then it sort of tails off. But that was one of the reasons I got involved in Preston's March. So I'm on the board of directors of Preston's March, and what we do is we donate adaptive bikes to people who can't ride a regular bike. And so being on the board of directors, and we you know we're we're trying to go away bikes, and then when this whole COVID thing hit, a lot of corporations said, "Hey, we love you, but." We just have the right now we're looking to put money in places that are more COVID related. And you know, we certainly understand that. Mm. Uh, so as someone who loves to cycle and anyone who, lo- anyone who likes to bike know them, the, uh, the proper amount of bikes to have is whatever you have plus one. So if someone has never had the opportunity and they were expecting a bike, you know, we want to, we wanted to be able to do it. So that's why I took on a, a personal challenge a couple weeks ago to do a, because all my races have been canceled, I needed something out there. So I decided to do a 200 mile bike ride and then use it as a fundraiser. So um, two weeks ago, I left from our house in Wilmington at about 5.30, in the morning, and then rode all the way down to Rock Hall and back and got my 200 miles in a little bit over 11 and a half hours. And we raised $3,200 to buy bikes for people. That's fantastic. So commendable. I mean, you know, when I when I saw that post, I was like, my, my goodness, <laughs> I couldn't even fathom the distance, you know, I mean, but you know, but then again, I was like, well, this is but this is Mark, he loves to cycle, you know, so this was like, you know, it was meant for you, it was made for you. No, it was, you know what, it was a, per- it was a perfect day. I said, so I had started. So I, I currently I, I now work for state parks. And, uh, as a volunteer manager, but before I started, I had this open week where I could sort of cherry pick the day. So I cherry picked the day, uh, but it was it was just such an awesome day. I mean, I knew about where my rest stops were going to be. Amy was on. My wife was sort of on call, and she tracks she tracks me on the on my phone so she can see where I was. And then the person was pressing one. They said, Hey, do we want us to meet you? And I'm like, no, because you know, if you're out there all day, you might not be in a great mood to talk to people and you're not sure what you want to eat or drink. So this way I knew where my rest stops were going to be. And I could just sort of walk into the store and whatever my stomach felt like, that's what I ate. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was just a great day. I mean, I, you know, went down Route 9 and then went down to Collins Beach and then hooked a right, went through Middletown and headed to Rock Hall and stopped about every 35, 40, uh, I stopped early just because I always wanted to be on top of my fluids. So I, I never did, uh, take a, you know, I, didn't, I never really passed up any place. I wanted to be sure I was doing the right stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had a hamburger at like mile 160. I think it was the best hamburger that I ever had. <laughs> So I know it's probably not the first time you put your training miles to good causes. I guess what does that what does that has that meant to you to be able to to do that and and what do you you try to do? I always look at it like I, I was going to do it anyway. So um, you know if, if I can do it and do something that I that I love and I enjoy. But if I do something like pretty outlandish, like doing a 200 mile bike ride, and you know, almost everyone that I reached out to, that you know, when I first started thinking about doing raising the money, you know, the the cost of the bike was you know, it's like 1200 dollars, and I thought that that's what would be what my goal was. And I thought, well, maybe I could do two thousand, but then when when they made up the pay, I didn't have anything to do with making up the. The, the donation page. I mean, I sent the pictures to uh, to the persons ahead of the Depp, uh, Preston's March. Mm-hmm. They put down three thousand. I'm like, oh, huh, all right. <laughs> well, once they put down three thousand, once they put down three thousand, well, that you know that meant that that's what that was part of the goal. But almost every person that I reached out to and said, hey, this is what we're doing. If you can, I understand there's a lot of stuff going on. But so many people just like just donated and. There was a lot of people who donated who I didn't even reach out to and I didn't even know. But they saw that what I was doing and where the money was going. And, th- I mean, that was one of the best parts uh, of that of that day because I would be out riding and I would get notifications on my phone that, hey, you got a donation. Hey, you got a donation. So, so the... Helps keep you going, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just it was just cool to see. And actually, I was riding and... My phone would ping that I got a message, so I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I got a, maybe I got another donation. But you know, so so many of the people that you know that need adaptive bikes or they're in special Olympics, they go through more in a day than some people go through in a year or a lifetime. You know, when I was, you know, when you were when you know when I, we were taking people to either an overnight camp or going to Seattle and. You know, they walk in with their medical and they walk in with the, the medications they need just to get through the day. To me, it was just mind-numbing. Um, yeah. it's, uh, it's just, you know, it's crazy. And then, you know, so for several years when I was at Special Olympics, we had a summer camp and I volunteered to be in the camp cabins. And to be on 24-7 with some of these guys, I can't even imagine what the families go through you know, 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. After, so they used to come to camp on Friday afternoon and leave on Sunday. I was, I was exhausted just because, you know, you, you know, you're watching, you know, every time some a bed creaks or the door opens for someone to go to the bathroom. I mean, you don't, you don't sleep the whole time. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anything that anybody could do, I, I'm just, Anything that anybody could do to help out those individuals or those families—it's just the right thing to do. You know, it's one of our goals for this podcast is to share stories like like yours, um, and not only to kind of help people that you know maybe maybe struggling, but also 
to kind of give people ideas of you know, how they can use their their time either running or their their privilege to be out there and be active um you know to do good so kind of right. the examples like like you share of of what you did with, for uh Preston's march i think uh you know hopefully gives inspires people to to do the same so thanks for sharing that no, I, I think you know, you know, I, I'd, uh, you know, so I've had the, so I, so I had the knee surgery that was an overuse injury in 1988 or so. I crashed pretty heavy on the plank, shattered my collarbone. The doctor said, you know, your swimming days may be over. I still have the pen that they took out of my shoulder sitting on my desk, uh, sort of remind me how lucky I was from that. And then in 2011, I was out running and tripped and sheared off the glenoid socket. And, you know, uh, Dr. Andrasani, local guy, fixed it. And he goes, yeah, he goes, you know, it's hit or miss. You know, you know, I, I can suture it up and do it. But he goes, but you have to do everything perfect. Be sure you can swim again. I got this great PT guy. So uh, I, that was in Jan- uh, fell in January, surgery in February. Wasn't allowed to swim until early April. And then I did, uh, so I didn't do any any races I did one race that year, which was Chesapeake Man in September, and broke a, I did like a 1046 or something. Uh, uh-huh. That was the only race I did that year. But so I realize every day how fortunate I am to still be able to do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of, I have a lot of friends who just went to the 60 age group that, you know, they, um, you know, they can't do it anymore. So uh, I know I'm lucky. And you know, to be able to do it, and I think it sort of pays forward a little bit. It sort of helps, hopefully, uh, helps keeps the karma gods happy, so you can I can continue to do it. Yeah, I think you're definitely keeping them very happy, especially after that that tremendous 200 miler. Yeah, I think you got a few more karma, good karma in the jar. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, we we always end our podcast with a couple of uh, rapid fire questions if you're up for it sure sure cool so when when you run or bike uh would you say you're running or biking from something or towards something towards uh when's your favorite time to to run or bike uh early morning super early sunrise that's not get crazy so <laughs> like uh, <laughs> like uh seven uh you know seven seven o'clock's good uh, when life gets overwhelming, you know, what do you do to reset or clear your head? Go out for a long, slow bike ride. Slow? Is that even in your vocabulary? <laughs> well, what is slow, though? What is slow? Like 19, 20? <laughs> it's, it's, rel- it's all relative. Actually, <laughs> actually, what, actually I, I, I probably changed it up a little bit. So a uh, year and a half ago, Amy and I got the gravel bikes. And it's probably one of the best purchases we've ever done. Because we can just go out to either Fair Hill or go someplace, ride on the gravel. You don't have to worry about people or cars. It's just it's just awesome. So, actually, so go out on the gravel bike is what we do now. Where would you say is your quote unquote happy place? It's a, either that run or that swim or the bike where you're just out and it just seems effortless. And you know, and, you know, you may be out on a bike ride. You got a tailwind and it's not really hot, but you know, to me, just to go in out, when, whenever you're doing anything like that, and it just seems like it's effortless for that moment, 
which they do come every once in a while. Sometimes uh, it, it seems like they don't, but they do. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give someone just finishing high school or college trying to figure out what to do with their life? Good luck. You know, so, yeah. Because, you know, it, I think what you need to do is realize uh, you, need to do, you need to do what makes you happy. And you need to listen to yourself. And you can listen to what other people say. But if you keep, if you keep knocking on the wrong doors, you're just going to keep going into the wrong rooms. So you need to decide what door that you want to open and pick that door. I did a really crazy way to get to where I am right now. And, um, you know, I graduated from college and then went into manufacturing and operations management, did that for 16 years, those to the grindstone, you know, uh, then, you know, decided, you know, did Special Olympics and started working with, the, you know, the parks, you know, a week or so ago. And the people that I'm working with are just awesome. And they have the same mindset. So I think what you need to do is figure out what inspires you and what makes you happy and then find out where those people are and then be with them. I love that. See, I don't know if I've I've heard that before. If keep knocking on the wrong doors. Yeah. yeah. You keep going yeah. into the wrong rooms. That's and, and, because, and if you're strong-headed like me and the door doesn't open, then you kick it open and you still go in. <laughs> it's still the wrong room. <laughs> the wrong room. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the wrong room. All right. Well, all right. I wasn't, you know, they say, I wasn't going to let you in. I'm like, yeah, but I wanted to be in. So you let me in, and we're still the wrong room. Oh, we definitely love hearing your stories, and I'm sure we could talk for hours. So ho- hopefully we could do this again someday. Your next adventure. <laughs> yeah. I have to figure out something else to do so we can talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any parting words for our listeners before we close out? Uh, no, I mean, you know, it's... If, you, if you're trying something new, there's so many people out there that have sort of forged the way for you. So there's no need to reinvent the wheel if someone's already done it. You know, whether it be a profession or sports or a relationship, whatever, there's so many people that have already been in the exact same position you are. You need to ask, but then you also need to listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you may not want, you may not like what you hear, but not hearing stuff you don't like sometimes isn't that bad. You just have to sort of take it in. And uh, and move forward with it. I mean, if, if you're if you're so focused that you're that you don't listen to other things around you, then you're not going to go nearly as far. And it may take you a lot longer to get to the end, but it didn't need to. So listen to the experts around you, but but then still make your own decision. But make it make it a uh, make it an educated decision. Yeah, definitely great great advice. So thanks, Mark, so much for joining us and for sharing those stories and being so open. Definitely appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. I look forward to hopefully catching up to you in a race sometime soon. Yeah, definitely. I was uh, really sad that I can't see my, you know, lap swimmers this year, but uh, hopefully, yes, this will all come back. You know, the race season will be will be back, and we'll be giving it our best out there again. It's only 392 days to Lake Placid 2021, so if you want to start, put that on your calendar. <laughs> Well, I already told you what our, my plans were. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe that'll be my what? My C race, <laughs> my supportive <Yeah>. race. <laughs> and then if you know, if I just can't get through the swim or the bike, I'll just like, all right. Mark told me it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best Ironman swim you'll ever do. I yes, you keep telling me that. It's too hilly. It's so hilly. 
Well, yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll work my way. I'll, I'll, I, that's what I'll, I'll strive for. I'll find okay. out who your doctor is. And I'll send them a. I'll send them a, a, a little note. Saying, this is a race to do. Okay. <laughs> Well, we we absolutely enjoyed the uh, the chat and the conversations. Uh, I I know I've certainly learned a lot more about you today, and certainly appreciate you a, a whole lot more. Uh, but most definitely, I, I love the fact that uh, you know you were able to share some really special memories and really just taking the time out of your your day. And I'm glad you got your cycling in already. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it's it's been wonderful. It's it's awesome. It's gonna make seeing you again the next time um, that much more happier. Yeah, hopefully, I, hopefully I can give you a hug, hug and then yeah, because I still uh, have a, a challenge for your son. Well, he, I know he could beat me now in the pool. Oh, that that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Rematch uh, coming. I have a chance now. Yeah. yeah, he's really quick. He's really quick now. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for joining us, and we will catch you in the next one. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. You can find show notes and other episodes, as well as articles from many of our contributors on werunwithyou.org. You can connect with us at We Run With You on Instagram and Facebook. And by the way, you can now listen to us on Spotify. Until next time, keep doing good. <laughs>